welcome to episode number 60 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast. We're recording March the 22nd, 2020. My name's Eric. I'm the host of the show. I'm based in Southern Ontario. I'm a hunter, target shooter, ham radio operator, and computer geek. I got uh, into uh, emergency preparedness as a first responder. I witnessed an over-reliance on emergency services during major events. I started a small preparedness company to help people get prepared and better look after themselves for at least 72 hours, if not longer. My name is Ian, and I live on Vancouver Island. I'm an outdoor enthusiast, sports shooter, and my farmer's day is needed handyman. I'm Alan. My friends and family call me a safety nerd. I'm a safety trainer, first responder, security expert, and overall nerd of general things. And hello from Canada's East Coast. I'm Hughes from Nova Scotia. I'm a Canadian Armed Forces veteran, volunteer firefighter, and station chief, and also a volunteer search and rescue technician and prepper. Um, I've been preaching and living the prepper lifestyle to varying degrees for the last six years or so, and this was born out of necessity to ensure the short-term survival of my family, which includes three young children. Well, I am Joe Alden, MD. I am a fellow of the American College of Surgeons, American College of OBGYN, um, member of the Wilderness Medical Society, and uh, basically I am here trying to accomplish a mission. That mission is very simple, to put a medically prepared person in every family. Awesome. Welcome back to the show, Dr. Alton. Happy to have you back. Thank you. Glad to be here. I mean, if you want to help keep the support... Uh try that again if you want to help support the show and keep the canadian prepper podcast on the air please buy a t-shirt canadian prepper podcast at rapidsurvival.com all proceeds go to help keep the lights on and the backup generator fueled well if you enjoyed the show please take a few minutes and like us on facebook and submit a review on itunes also we want your feedback good or bad or if there's just a topic you want us to cover you can email us at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca all right so we've got some uh, globe spanning content for you in this episode yes the horrible bad <laughs> jokes continue uh, we're going to start off with preparedness-related news, uh, then we'll let you know how we've uh, pre- uh, improved our preparedness since last episode, and we're going to get into the main topic, uh, COVID-19 and uh, today's news. So, going to some uh, news articles. So, a little bit of good news. China is seeing clear skies for the first time in a generation, thanks to reduced manufacturing, cr- introducing less pollution. Uh, the waterways of Venice are clear enough to see to the bottom and see the fish underneath. So that's some, some good things that are happening right now. Uh, the absolute flip side of that is that New York has now confirmed 15,000 some odd cases, almost uh, 10,000 of them in New York City alone, and has called in the Army Corps of Engineers to build temporary hospitals. Well, wasn't that uh, wasn't even like a month ago we were making fun of China for building hospitals in six days? Uh, yeah. I don't think we were making fun of them. I thought we were, <laughs> we were making fun of the hospitals, not necessarily they were building them. Yeah, no, yeah. they were questioning whether or not they would remain standing. Yeah, yeah. no, it just right. seems, it seems so extreme at the time and now, look, eh? Yeah, yep, it's true. Mm. As for myself, I just had a uh, news article here that shows that. Uh, Prime Minister Trudeau is calling a special session of Parliament on Tuesday to pass uh, some nebulous stuff that he mentioned, but uh, he did also mention the emergency economic aid package. But uh, there's some speculation he might be trying to pass the Emergency uh, Act as well into into force. Yeah, I think the big red button's getting hit on Tuesday. We'll find out. We'll find out come Tuesday. Uh, I've just got written here Corona, in case anybody wasn't aware, there's a bit of a pandemic going on right now. And that's all the news is talking about. That's, that's literally all the news anybody can find yeah. anywhere. Yeah, nothing there was one little article today I caught on CP24 where they talked about a shooting in Toronto. So that is still happening. But then they went right back to Corona. So, <laughs> Well, they were probably they were probably fighting over uh, sanitizer and face masks. <laughs> or toilet paper. Yeah, Or toilet paper. Yeah, yeah could be. It's a, it's a big issue. We have 
where we are, you cannot find any of that stuff anywhere. We actually just received a gallon of hand sanitizer and we're putting it in various bottles so that we can keep our various kits packed with with sanitizer for everyone because you know obviously it's something that's now a basic for just about any medical kit well all the uh all the local um breweries and distilleries have now switched manufacturing to start producing sanitizer Um, a paramedic friend of mine just sent me a picture this morning from um of a bottle of dylan's which normally makes fairly excellent whiskey uh but it's hand sanitizer and it was shipped like it's just it looks like it's in a wine bottle sent to his uh, sent to his ambulance base wow well, that's just flipped over now too and they're starting to do it as well yeah it's so they're uh, repurposing everything uh, down here right? factories that that are distilleries and things like that they're doing this exact same thing and uh i think uh 3m is going somebody is making ventilators now that i think used to make cars so it's, yep. it's pretty pretty amazing stuff that's going on. And it, it just goes to show what what you can do if you really put your mind to it. Of course, we have to see if it really happens. But yeah, true. Uh, it is kind of neat yeah. to see the community coming together to to help everybody out and, and do what they that can. Means there's hope. Yeah, absolutely. Shall we uh, move into what we've done lately for preps? Sure. And what so, we've done lately for preps is brought to us by Super Essie Straps. Visit them at superessiestraps.com. Some good stuff. Good times. Yeah. So uh, for myself, uh, because I've been uh, traveling around for work this week, uh, yes, they still made us travel and, and do a few things. So that's what we're doing. I uh, established a decontamination setup uh, for coming in and out of the house uh, because I am required to interact with uh, various members of the public for work. Um, set up with my wife exactly what we're going to do for me to come back into the house. And I am going to have to leave again this week to go back to the office. Uh, so we've uh, we've got that in place now. So I have a way to come in and I have a way to go out. Um, just to make sure I'm not bringing any anything back into the house that we obviously don't want to want to come in. And uh, I actually had a little bit of time uh, this weekend, so I sat down and actually made an inventory list. Um, I know we kind of say to have a list and have things kind of figured out for your your preps and your stock, but um, I always kind of had one up in my head and I kind of counted everything that way. I actually uh, went down to the storage room and, and counted out everything individually and actually put it into an Excel, Excel spreadsheet. And uh, it's, it's kind of nice to have everything written down. It was, uh, it was all kind of jumbled in my brain there, but uh, I was fairly close. It's off a little bit on a few things, but uh, it's nice to have everything actually written down and, and in a kind of a, an established uh, list. So that was well, it. Well, it's easier to maintain than actually build it up to begin with. Like that's a big yeah. effort to get everything on the list, but once it's there, it's, it's certainly easier to maintain. Yeah, that's going to be good. Been meaning to do it for a while, so. Cool. Uh, as far as myself, I couldn't have timed my vacation any better, so I've been on vacation since the 10th. And, uh, yeah, so I'm going to call this my apocalyptic vacation. So <laughs> as I was uh, forced to stay at home anyway, pretty much, I uh, decided to do a bunch of stuff around the doomstead here. So I've been uh, rotating some fuel stocks a bit, uh, you know, using up the old stuff in the vehicle, filling up the jerry cans over there's still not lineups there, which is nice. Uh, use the chop saw, figured that case power does go out off or when I don't want it to type of thing, I uh, use the chop saw to make a bunch of kindling. So a bunch of 16 inch uh, lengths of like medium sized branches and everything else um, for the fall. Uh, Start eating from the freezer versus the shelf stable stuff just to empty out the freezer a bit. A, uh, I had a coop that's obsolete. I'm continuing to turn this coop area into a garden. So I'm uh, continuing with the coop destruction and I got the roof off, which was good. It's a big, bit of a big job. 
Uh, two dump runs associated with that, and uh, just also before the dump shuts down, I figure the dump's going to be shut down since it's a municipal government job, so it won't take long for them to stop coming in. So made sure everything was out of the acreage for, for dumps. Uh, and then went to the shooting range twice. Uh, some good brass scrounging going on, because just what happens with the RCMP were there twice this week. Uh, shooting up a storm, so I decided to pick up after them and be be extra greeny and recycly about it. <laughs> and because uh, you know, you know, recycle, reuse, right? No, and, yeah. <laughs> and let's see here, we had our first baby chick born, so I named her Corona. Yeah, I thought you were yeah. supposed to name your food. Well, she's not. Yeah. A, she's a layer now, right? So anyway, uh, outfit, outfitted the vehicles uh, with hygienic supplies, so gloves, wipes, masks, uh, uh, safety goggles, uh, everything else. So every vehicle's got you know. The ability to go out and not be too feeling too icked about out about it, I guess. And then, uh, see, so yeah, I had to fix a fuel line with a generator because I, I ran the big generator again that runs our water pump. And sure enough, one of the fuel lines was kind of cracked and leaking a bit. So that's no good. Uh, checked on the neighbors again. So made some quick, uh, quick chats with them to make sure everything was okay with the because I got some elderly neighbors. Uh, did a socially distance appropriate visit with a local guy who wants to get into prepping and he needs some basic preps advice. So I, uh, I spent a couple hours there and we talked generators. We talked about getting water out of the well, basic food stores, what to get. And so he was happy about that. And see here, made arrangements to retrieve my two family members. They're stuck overseas. So um, they should be hopping on a plane tonight. Wow. Oh, the days are just packed for you. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you underachieved again this weekend. Yeah, but, but it gets better. I found out my employer is ceasing 75% of its operations. So, hey. Oh, <laughs> so, so, yeah. So, so what are you going to do next week then? Everything's done. Yeah. So no, I, I have unlimited amount of things to do around here. It'll be all good. So, uh, I'll have more information on that next week, but it looks like I might be liking it at, at least a demotion, if not a layoff. So, we'll see. We'll set aside a couple of pages of notes for you for next week. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, let me tell you, Dante, who's next? Who's next? Uh, that's me, I think. So for myself, um, I've been continuing long-term and short-term food um, food stockpiles, uh, boosting fuel stockpiles as well, um, gearing up for a spring garden setup. So I found a store that still has, still has some seeds, um, so I geared up on that. Um, I've got 138 liters of homebrew uh, currently fermenting, so that's cider, wine, and uh, moonshine. Um, and just a note, I went to uh, do some grocery shopping today, and they're limiting even canned goods to only two cans per person. Uh, and they're actually enforcing that. So they go at the they, they go and look in all the carts at the checkout and you have more than two cans and they're gonna say pick two and the rest have to go back on the shelf. And so for a family of five, two cans, not gonna cut it. So I'm happy I stocked up ahead of time. So I might have to go back every day, um, because they didn't spe- specify how often I can go back, but uh yeah, it's a little bit unsettling. But on the good side, uh the store was fully stocked. Um they had they had everything was back in stock, there was there was not a bare shelf, so at least that's that's, that's good. good now. So yeah, well, that's, so that's, a, that's good. Well, from my end, I, I, you guys, I guess don't really know this, but this is harvest time down here. Uh, we have our agricultural summer is winter, and so we have uh, all sorts of stuff growing. Uh, we're master gardeners for the state of Florida through the Agricultural Extension Office, and so we have. Uh, all sorts of tropical stuff growing. We have uh, mangoes, avocados, sugarcane. We have, um, of course, tomatoes and cucumbers and uh, more stuff than you can possibly imagine. And it's all, it's all getting ready to be harvested right now. So that, that's one of the things we do. We also raise tilapia in ponds. So we have a, a couple of ponds where we have a tilapia. They, it doesn't get below about 45 degrees at the very lowest. I don't think he even did that this year. 
So uh, uh, tilapia do just fine, and uh, they're starting to have fry. And uh, we're going to have a big bunch of those guys, uh, I'm sure, this summer, too. This summer in about six months. So uh, we're doing that. Uh, and uh, otherwise, every single day, seven days a week for the last three weeks, we have been uh, going directly to the office, uh, to the warehouse, mystical warehouse of uh, wonder and putting together all sorts of medical kits. And then since I'm closer to 70 than I am to 60, it's back here and I just sit here and drool on my shoes for the rest of the night. <laughs> what a oh. life. <laughs> but yeah, I can only imagine how busy you are right now as far as like uh, orders and stuff online go. But it has been, it has been crazy. Podcast. And I have to tell you that it's not just personal protection gear and stuff like that. It is actual big kits for people that have mutual assistance groups that they're the uh, the medic for, and uh, they're you know we're producing you know thirty pound you know thirty five pound packs just loaded with medical oh. supplies uh that uh that seem to be i i mean we're behind and you know and and our biggest seller are the biggest packs which is wow. uh, pretty surprising oh well, everybody wants uh, to be ready right yeah well they're going to be pretty darn ready with our stuff yeah awesome the time to prepare is coming quickly to an end yeah. uh, so my for me i've just i've mostly been hunkering down um Staying, staying around home as much as I can. I uh, did manage to get out and got a new tattoo that I've been putting out that I've been had oh, for a few months. Oh, can it be seen? You can actually see it. I put it up on my Instagram page, which uh, okay. uh, which is uh, is referenced towards the end of the show. I put it up there. Uh, in uh, in Latin, it says "Amat Victoria Curum," which translates to "Victory favors the prepared." Um, so that was uh, I felt that was kind of timely. It was supposed to be uh, supposed to be with a group of uh, group of family members um, who should be listening tonight. And if they are, uh, I'm sorry you guys couldn't get here. Uh, unfortunately, there were some uh, um, some mobility restrictions imposed upon certain members of the group, and so we uh, we had to put the put the group part off for a while. Uh, I've been matching each uh, maximizing each trip out of the house by adding s- supplies as much as I can, and then just like Eric took an actual took an actual inventory um, this weekend, um, and then uh, spent most of the day today just kind of puttering in the garage between grass fires, uh, puttering in the garage and uh, um, getting getting things a little bit better organized. So that's uh, that's been my that's been my week and probably my week going forward as well. <laughs> well nothing wrong with that. Lots to do. Lots to do. Well, shall we uh, move into the main topic of the show? We'll uh, maybe let Dr. Alton uh, take it from here, give us a quick update as to what you've seen and, and what's going on. Well, I mean, it, I think unless you've been vacationing on Mars for the last month or so, you, there is a pretty big epidemic pandemic going on. Uh, it reached pandemic uh, status, I think, uh, since the last time I was on uh, your podcast, and uh, it has really just spiraled out of control uh, until uh, since then. The funny thing is that I don't know whether it has been doing that all the time and we just haven't been testing uh, or whether this is uh, actually something new. For, in my opinion, most probably this is because we're getting better at testing. Certainly in the States, uh, the testing has ramped up significantly and as a result, there has been as I predicted, a massive jump in in cases. Uh, so far, we have 336,838 cases. Uh, that has, by the way, that was 681 
uh, one and a, uh, nine, about 90 seconds ago, <laughs> I just clicked it again, and it's now 838. 14,616 deaths. That's a death rate that's higher than it was when uh, we talked last. It was about uh, 2.5 or so. Now it's about 3.5. And the question is why uh, we have uh, a good number of people that have recovered. If you look at the people, if you look at the active cases, of course, if it's an active case, that person isn't dead yet. So the death rate there is zero percent. There are about 213,000 people that are active cases. There are about 112,000 cases that have been closed. And uh, of that group, 97,000 97, have recovered and 14,616, no, 838 uh, have uh, passed away. That's a 13% death rate. Now, the thing that everyone needs to know, that uh, sounds pretty scary, but and, and it is, and it is scary. But the the truth of the matter is, is that I believe that we are probably looking at the actual number of cases being probably a factor of ten or more, maybe a factor of twenty over whatever this number is that they they put out every day, every day. So, three hundred thirty six thousand cases. I would say that it's more likely four million cases uh, that we we're seeing so far. And, and these are just people that haven't been tested. Now, have you, you may have noticed, you may have noticed that China is reporting very few cases lately. Has anybody noticed that lately? Oh, yeah. It seems artificially uh, a good result. I'll tell you why it's happening. I, I was hope, I'm hoping, maybe I'm, I'm wrong, but I'm, I'm hoping certainly that that means that they're now at the far end of the bell curve and that things are quieting down for them. But recently... I have read reports that they're just not testing anymore. Ah. So it's it's not hard to have very few cases if you're doing very few tests. And so what about Korea then? Because yeah. I don't which, which necessarily one? well <laughs> I don't <laughs> Yeah, with North Korea I can I, I wonder if there's anybody alive there, you know, or not that anybody that's not sick there in North Korea. I mean we don't even know about even the first case. In North Korea, South Korea is a pretty amazing uh, situation. They uh, have about eight thousand, nine thousand cases, and they are actually have they have flattened the curve. And what I mean by that is that the bell, the bell curve, has they managed to keep the amount of cases down small enough so that it, it has not overwhelmed their hospital capacity, and. That is something that is in, in the United States is our main goal. It, it, what it means is a v much longer outbreak, but hopefully not one that uh, overwhelm totally overwhelms the hospital hospital's capacity to uh, provide respiratory support. That's really what's happening in a lot of these countries where you may be, like in Italy, where you may be reading that the average person, instead of being my age, let's say, is uh, that, that's on a ventilator in Italy is 40 years old or 50 years old or, or in that ballpark. And it's not because people my age don't need ventilators over there because they're very, not because they're not very sick. They are very sick. It's just that uh, they have sort of reached a point where they're making decisions as to who gets the ventilator. And it isn't going to be somebody in my age group. Yeah. I think they've definitely hit the point of triage there. Haven't they? I think so. 
Quick clarification there. Uh, uh, Diesel Boy here asks on the YouTube, um, when you say recovered, do you know if there's any more, like, I guess, deeper or maybe um, more detailed info on when they recovered, They have they still suffered, like, lung scarring or damage, or they just, like, got away scot-free, or does they, is there any way to, like, kind of... Well, most, most people wind up having... If, if they have been on the ventilator, on a ventilator for a period of time, then it takes them a, quite a while to get back back to normal. And so the, the that's the thing is if somebody is on a ventilator, you don't just get off the ventilator right you know you know the next day and and get discharged from the hospital the day after that. I mean, in reality, you wind up needing to be on a ventilator for sometimes for maybe two weeks. And then after that, for quite a period of time, you're really not able to go home. So this is why even a country like the United States, which has a well-developed medical infrastructure, is being stretched to the limit and why it's so important for us, why we're willing to sacrifice a longer outbreak to keep that bell curve from going beyond hospital capacity. Excellent. And have you seen anything from Italy on uh, on some of the deaths here as, as far as like uh, if they've already had like pre, pre-existing conditions or if they're just normally healthy otherwise or you know the thing is is how bad is are there pre are there pre-existing conditions uh, I'm, I have type 2 diabetes for example am I you know one of those very high high risk people I probably am. And of course, that you know, at my age, my blood pressure is higher, much higher than it was when I was in my twenties or thirties. So I have mult—I have multiple comorbidities, simply because of my age and just the things that happen with your age, uh, you know, with age. So I, I really don't know what to tell you with regards to how how this is going to pan out. But I think that we're still. In the initial phases, in in most of these countries that we're seeing a lot of uh, numbers, we're still in the initial stages. I still think things are going to be going up pretty fast uh, over the next two to three weeks, I think. Now, I've heard uh, this week there's been some discussion about an anti-malaria medication called uh, hydroxychloroquine. Um, it's been useful in mitigating slash eliminating slash as a vaccine. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that, what it is, what it's, yeah. uh, how it works? There are two uh, uh, anti-malarial drugs. Called, one is called chloroquine. One is called hydroxychloroquine. They're very, they're very similar. They've been used for treatment, not only treatment, but also for prevention. And uh, hydroxychloroquine has been used for rheumatoid arthritis, uh, lupus, um, and a number of other different different things. It has a lot. Both both these drugs have in vitro activity against SARS, and as a result, they were one of the uh, tests. uh, And they also have some uh, action against uh, dengue fever and. uh, chikungunya and some of those viruses in those families that uh, have also made their way across the pond in the last uh, uh, decade or so. So, so what these do is basically they they destroy they destroy the virus by decreasing the load the viral load. You never can get beyond a certain amount of virus in your system, and so therefore you wind up not getting as severe uh, a case, and you wind up uh, uh, getting better somewhat sooner. Now, they're not miracle drugs. The amount of 
uh, dosage that they you, know, you have to take of these things is higher than normal for uh, just ma just malarial prophylaxis. They're they're tried a number of different uh, cases. They, they, it, it's very similar to way to the way they take azithromycin, uh, where you start with two pills at once and then one pill a day for about five days. Uh, they they have that's how you take the, the chloroquine, but you take it at different doses just that they've they've uh, tried them at. And they seem to think that the highest doses seem to do the best, but the, also they have toxicity. In other words, they can affect your liver function. They can affect your kidney function. So like just about everything, there are advantages and disadvantages to the medicine. Now, I, I will say this, that the studies that have shown success with COVID-19 are still very few. There ha have not been a lot of medical centers that have published results regarding the use of chloroquine uh, or hydroxychloroquine either with azithromycin and the antibiotic or with zinc is the other thing that they've been using it in combination with and the results that have come out have been criticized by the medical establishment what has happened though that is good is that it's making medical centers all over the country all over the world you try these out and it's thought that it's possible that south korea's low death rate can be associated with the use of chloroquine, which is not uncommonly used to treat COVID-19 in South Korea. So it's possible that there's a ray of light with regards to this. The only problem is they have to find the right dose. The, 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 another good thing about it is that we know for a fact that it's not dangerous to take at normal doses. But the question is, what is the dose for COVID-19? We know what the dose is for malaria and that you know, most people tolerate that well. Is it the same thing with COVID-19? We don't know what the dose is exactly for that. So it is being currently evaluated. And because it's already been proven to be safe in human beings, I mean, that's what they do in phase one trials. That means it's, it can be go, it can go directly to phase two and, and then, and then phase three trials. And hopefully we'll get some kind of treatment out of that. They also use other drugs, by the way. I mean, I, where they're not just focusing only on chloroquine, the anti-HIV drugs, um, lopinavir, no, lopinavir and uh, ritonavir. By the way, every antiviral drug just about its last three letters end in VIR. So if you ever see a generic medicine that ends with VIR, it's usually an antiviral drug. So uh, these are anti. These are drugs that are used in people that have HIV, and they've been successful. Probably saved a lot of lives, and maybe that's why a lot of people don't die these days of AIDS as much as they did in the 80s and, and the 90s. But these are also thought to be effective against coronaviruses as well. And so this is another route that's being taken that is totally different from the chloroquine. Now, you mentioned zinc when you were talking about the, the combinations of drugs. Um, is that something that we could be taking preventatively? Um, to yes, there are zinc lozenges uh, that you can find. There are about 75 milligrams is the usual dose for those. Uh, there are virologists who uh, have published articles that say that it works well in decre also decreasing viral load and increasing the speed at which you recover from a viral illness and that they include coronavirus as one of those. Remember that 
there are coronaviruses that are, have caused epidemic disease like SARS and MERS and COVID-19. And then there are your common cold coronaviruses. They, the other four strains of coronavirus that are in the coronavirus family are the cause of about 15 to 25% of all common colds. And so that's why they tell you to take zinc to decrease common your chances or, or in, to increase your speed of recovery from a common cold because zinc indeed has an antiviral uh, effect on coronaviruses. The question is, is it enough of an antiviral effect for someone who is very sick? Uh, it's not... It's, it's not thought to be preventative. It's thought to be something that maybe makes your uh, your episode of, corona, of COVID-19 maybe milder than it would be otherwise. So, so it wouldn't be something we should daily dose with just to just in case? There's, no, there's no proof that it, is, it has uh, a curative effect against coronavirus. However... Zinc in and of itself is antiviral in nature, is not a bad idea, uh, there, and does no harm, by the way, to take, uh, to take a zinc lozenge uh, on a daily basis or uh, a zinc supplement if you want. Uh, I've, taken it, I've taken them for years mostly to uh, deal with the colds. Okay. And is there anything else, any other kind of daily doses that we could be, uh, we could be working on to... Well, to they think also azithromycin or ZPAC is another is the brand name down here. I don't know what it's called um, in Canada, but uh, that's a popular antibiotic. It's used very often here, and it is something that uh, has the uh, ability. It does. It's it's an antibacterial, but for some reason, when you put it with chloroquine in combination, it seems to uh, it seems to have more of an effect in patients that have COVID-19. And now that, that is an anecdotal study that was done by, by some physicians uh, in China. They claim that this is the case. And these are, again, see, the, the main thing with these kinds of um, things you read in the news about this medicine curing that, this medicine, that medicine curing that, is that there may be a study that shows that, but can that, can that study be reproduced Elsewhere, I once had a, um, uh, when I was in college, I was uh, in a biopsychology lab. We called it the rat lab because they did so many experiments on the poor animals there. And uh, one of our professors managed to get, uh, to get, put together a kind of regimen that was able to allow people to, without taking drugs and just uh, changing their diet and things like that actually lowered their blood pressure. And it was sort of a bio, uh, it was trying, it was dealing with automatic, autonomic conditioning. And so part of your autonomic nervous system is, is your blood pressure and things like that. You're maintaining your homeostasis. And he was able to get his subjects to lower their blood pressure and these are people that were known hypertensive, and he was able to get them to lower their blood pressure. He published the study, and then it was it was such a groundbreaking thing. My God, you can you mean oh, I don't have to take medicine anymore. I can actually lower my blood pressure by doing these things. Well, as soon as it came out, all these other medical centers started doing the study. They couldn't reproduce his results. He went back, tried to figure out what was different uh, that. 
that he did that uh, the other people couldn't couldn't reproduce it, couldn't figure it out. He wound up being ruined, you know, academically. He wound up killing himself actually a year later. So you got to have a bunch of medical centers that agree with your opinion that, you know, we do our findings that this works because just because one stuff, one place says this works, if everybody else tries it and it doesn't work, you can't really call it a proven method of treatment. Speaking of proven methods, actually, quick question for you. You mentioned the uh, South Korea, you know, flattening the curve successfully by, you know, kind of keeping everybody on lockdown. Obviously, we were talking about how it might come into play here Tuesday. We've noticed that California has done it. New York's kind of cordoned off neighborhoods and stuff. Do you think that uh, that's going to be enough to keep the hospitals from getting overwhelmed? Like, because a lot, a lot of people aren't obeying rules to stay at home right now because they think it's not going to make a difference. But in your opinion, obviously, how how well will lockdowns help flatten the curve? Uh, I think uh, it may have. I think it may have some effect. I think the more dr- draconian, this sounds terrible, but the more draconian that the measures are, the more likely it will. Uh, however, you know, I've seen, I saw scenes today of people in parks in uh, New York City and big crowds and stuff like that. So uh, it, it's, it's the same, it's, a, it's just like quarantine. If you try to quarantine a city, it's very difficult to do. I mean, when they tried to quarantine Wuhan, they did it essentially without notice there were still several million people that were able to get out of the area. I mean, it was Lunar New Year. There were a bunch of people in, in town. And uh, uh, there are millions of, millions of people were able to actually escape the quarantine. And, of course, they, had, they wound up having COVID-19. They spread it throughout mainland China and then the world. Yeah, that's no, amazing how we, we're currently seeing pictures of people in downtown Toronto, which is our largest city. And, you know, crowds upon crowds of people at the beach just – normal ops and i'm just kind of shocked about that more than anything else especially with the, the news being the way it is yeah well there's always a battle between public health and individual liberties and so so where where does the line you know where's the line between restricting your rights as an individual and, and when does that no longer take precedence over the public health and that's a battle that has been occurring in every free society for, for well, since there have been free societies. Uh, in places like China, it's not a big deal. In places like Iran, it's not a, Iran, it's not a big deal. But uh, here, it's, it's, a, it's a big thing. I remember a nurse during the Ebola epidemic of 2014 um, that came back from, uh, she was a medical worker working with the Ebola patient. She came back at the end of the uh, epidemic in West Africa for of Ebola and they wanted her to quarantine and she refused and it went all the way to court and uh, it, it turned out that uh, you know her civil liberties trumped the public's right to be free of contagion at least at that point here now we're seeing things sort of going the other way in that people are now willing to, they see that this is pretty dangerous and it is the contagion rate is so high that you know, it, they are willing to accept more restrictions. Yeah, it's a, a very fine line to to follow. That's for sure. But uh, for sure, it is. We got to figure something out that's going to work. Because to enjoy your civil liberties, you, you got to be alive, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, another right. common question I've been getting uh, quite a bit is in regards to receiving packages. I know we kind of touched on this last episode, but people are still concerned about um, getting packages delivered to their homes and 
and receiving things that they would order online while they're trying to do the social distance thing. Um, have we learned any more about um, how long this uh, virus can live on certain surfaces or is there any yeah. kind of concern for that? Very much so. Um, uh, on car- cardboard, which of course is likely that your package is going to be a cardboard box, uh, it's pretty much thought to be you know, a good 24 to 48 hours that it can remain alive on plastic uh, it can remain alive for 72 hours or more. Uh, I've seen one or two results that say nine days, but notice that the grand majority went, that was one of the first things that was that came out. Nine days is how long it lasts on, on a smooth, non-porous surface. Well, they did studies, you know, to see if that was true. And sure enough, they found out that it's pretty much three days. And those studies pretty much agreed with each other. Um, Copper, interestingly enough, only lasts four days and uh, four four hours. The virus can only last four hours on on copper, and so I've just received uh, communication from uh, uh, somebody that I know that is claiming that you know copper uh, copper products may be part of the answer with regards to treatment, copper ions or things like that. And not, none of this, of course, is proven. You just we just don't know yet. We know very little yet about we know a lot about the virus, but we're learning by trial and error mostly. And so we just have to see uh, what I would do, by, but answering your question more practically, what I would do with every package that I get here and I get a lot of packages here, I spray, spray down the cardboard with alcohol and I just l- let it sit there for a while. Uh, that makes sense. And so, and so I do that. And also I open I open these packages with, usually open the packages with gloves on, nitrile gloves. That's solid advice for sure. Yeah. Um, um, you have to realize that, you know, my age, I probably am at higher risk. risk, And so for that reason, yeah, I'm sure some people out in, in your audience will think it's overkill. But the truth of the matter is, is that it's a very contagious uh, disease. It can't be over safe, right? Actually, on that uh, that note about the contagion level and stuff. So back when we first did our our first episode together, that I think the RNA hadn't quite been you know firmed up yet. It was a pretty wild variance in figures and the casualty rate and everything else. Has anything about this disease like really surprised you as far as like casualty rates or RNOTs or anything else? Oh, what surprises me is the amount of people that that die as a result, you know, as as an end result. And we have so many people that are still active cases that we don't know what's going to happen with them. And the number of people that are in uh, serious or critical condition is about 5% of all the active cases. Yet there are 13% deaths among the closed cases. So it's, it sort of surprises me that that, that rate is so high. I, I suspect that it's, of course, because I believe that the, the true number of cases are so, so high that, you know, I think that death rate is, is diluted, whether, whether you consider it out of all cases or just out of the closed cases. But um, I would think that that, it, it's just surprises me just how much, how, how many people are in critical condition from from this virus. I mean, that's the real danger about it. Otherwise, for most people, it's like the flu. But uh, instead of the flu having just 
a couple of percent of people getting really sick out of it. We just have, you know, like 20% of people winding up needing some kind of medical intervention. And, you know, 5% of people will wind up on, on ventilators or uh, have needing some kind of respiratory support. So it, it is surprising. It's something that you wouldn't, you wouldn't expect to uh, see really in somebody who ordinarily would just expect a very small percentage, certainly uh, for any kind of a virus. I know uh, last episode too, we uh, kind of discussed um, ways to kind of protect ourselves. Uh, is still the thought the uh, the N95 masks and the uh, indirect ventilated uh, goggles and, and that kind of setup, or has anything changed uh, in that uh, respect? No, I think that that is that has not changed. I think people still should be. Uh, well, I will say this: that has changed, but it hasn't changed because of the effect, protective effect. For example, N95s are still very useful to have, if, especially if you're going, if you're going to be a caregiver. It's, a, it's best to have an N95 mask. However, because of the sh extreme shortage of N95 masks, the uh, the U.S. government, uh, the health, our health agencies, are now saying that it's okay for you to use regular old surgical face masks, and it's okay to use bandanas. That's how. It's, that's how bad it's gotten here is that, you know, so you, you may see nurses and, and doctors walking around the wards, uh, you know, with a bandana on or instead of uh, an N95 mask. So there's been a real um, shortage of these things. And it's basically a very, it's very, the, the, the reason is very simple is that we've become so dependent on manufacturing being done in other countries, we don't manufacture anything ourselves. I mean, we don't man manufacture cell phones, we don't manufacture a lot of electronics, and we don't manufacture cell, uh, face masks. A lot of those face masks are manufactured right where the, the first epidemic hot zone was in um, mainland China, as a matter of fact. And so we have a national we have a strategic national stockpile that's about 40 starts off at about 45 million masks, uh, but those are not meant for distribution to the average citizen. The, the, the purpose of a strategic national stockpile is not to necessarily help the average citizen. It is to maintain the continuity of the government because if you can't have a nation if you don't have a government and if things are if things are go completely without the rule outside the rule of law well that make that's well that's a big problem and so for that reason that they justify using these masks specifically to you know maintain the continuity of the government now that may mean maintaining the continuity of the hospitals in an area that is necessary, like in urban areas and things like that. But you may find that uh, there's a hierarchy of who gets who gets masks. Now, I, I would assume that places like New York City, Washington D.C., places like that would wind up being very high on the list. And of course, that they are secondary to the Department of Defense. 
What's um, what's scary I found is we were doing inventory at my fire station for what we had for uh, pandemic supplies in terms of masks and gloves and stuff. Um, and we we're fairly well stocked up on gloves, but we had two boxes, which is 40 masks um, for a fire department of about 38 people. Um, and then talking to our logistics team, they said what's in the station is what the fire department has. So we do have a central logistics, but they said we don't have anything. Uh, we're a municipal government. We weren't really planning for this. Like the last time we looked at a pandemic plan was like 2007 um, so the government lives kind of like paycheck to paycheck almost right so they weren't planning for a pandemic they weren't stockpiling masks or anything um, trying to get this stuff out of the province or state uh, government or the federal government doesn't seem to be happening so uh, it's it's to the point now where even the paramedics which is a state-run uh, type type of paramedic um, they don't have any masks so they're responding to calls whether the patients are being screened as COVID-19 negative or positive they're responding to calls with just gloves and safety glasses and no masks because we don't have any um, and you know we've only got something like 20 cases in this province so <laughs> well yeah that that is a sad state of affairs but it's it's the same story in many many places uh, I will say that the CDC recognizes that there may be in, in a true pandemic, as we're in right now, they, a shortage, a limited supply of N95 masks and other, other kinds of personal protection gear. With regards to masks, they indeed do sanction the extended use of masks and the limited reuse of masks, disposable masks. They, they actually sanction the, the extended use and the limited reuse what the things that are the rules that you cannot break is that it's one mask per caregiver. In other words, you don't share mask with another caregiver. And um, the and and for that reason, I actually saw a uh, image in one of the uh, wet, in one of the news sites that showed a bunch of brown paper bags with the names of different doctors on it, and that's their mask. <laughs> and then, and when they're not using it, they put it in there, and then they. They use it again. The limited—that's what they call limited reuse—is they uh, they actually let it dry out and then then put it back on wow. patient again. So the, um, this is actually a CDC guideline. Which you, you wouldn't think we'd ever get to, but even like the direction we've been given now is instead of using the N95 masks because we have short supply is to basically use the self-contained breathing apparatus we use to go into a fire because at that point oh. you're actually breathing your own air. Uh, yeah. It's it's in a, um, a positive pressure, so if, if anything breaks the seal, there's air that flows out of the mask to push anything out of that breakage of the seal. Um, and, you know, we have compressors at the fire station, so we basically have an unlimited supply of air. But um, it can be quite daunting when you walk into somebody's home wearing a, you know, self-contained breathing apparatus and saying, right, hey, you look like an old deep sea diver. <laughs> exactly. So we kind of yeah. have to explain to them why we're dressed up like this and why we don't look like a normal per person, I guess. But now, well, We yeah. call those PAPRs, and, and down here they cost probably a, about $1,000 for a good one. So, so uh, you know, it's good to have that. It's good to have the ability to, to have that. But of course, that's not something the average person can do. Now, I will say this: that, that I will say this for the Chinese. They're not afraid to to test things that we would ordinarily consider not appropriate to even bother with. And so they have evaluated, uh, or the International Medical Center of Beijing has evaluated a number of different ways to disinfect a used mask and <clears throat> they tried spraying it with alcohol and they found that the uh, 
it uh, affected, it, it, de it degraded the filtration efficiency of the N an N95, so they felt that that wasn't good. They tried the steam heat, and they tried uh, autoclaving, and bo both of those actually also uh, uh, degraded the 95% effect. The, the, the autoclave actually deformed the mask itself. And well, wow. uh, they tried UVC wands, and they they think that has some promise. But they're you know they they had at least at this particular center they had no way that they can that they could really measure if there was virus on the mask or not. So they weren't sure about the filtration efficiency. And uh, the one way that appeared to work that actually uh, didn't affect the circulation of air through the mask, didn't deform the mask, and maintained the 95% efficiency was placing the mask in an oven at 160 dry heat, 160 degrees for 30 minutes. Well, that's, that's interesting. That's a thought, yeah. And so yeah. They, they were willing to, I mean, you're not going to find a lot of other places willing to do these kinds of tests, you know, which are considered certainly outside the conventional medical wisdom, but they seem to feel that uh, that was a, an option. And I actually cooked some masks myself, myself just to make sure they didn't deform them. And they don't. So, you know, 150 degrees, 30 minutes. Um, I have a question from a listener, and she's asking, at what point um, should we go to the hospital? So we're saying uh, if you're young and healthy, you should manage your symptoms at home, but how do we know when it's time to go? Well, you would... If you've ever been short of breath, then you know that, that it's time to go. So I, I would say that if, if, if you are unable to maintain, and this is why having something like a pulse oximeter at home is not a bad idea. If you, if you had a pulse oximeter, which is a little machine you put on your finger that measures your, uh, measures your pulse, but also measures the oxygen, oxygen saturation in your blood, uh, if you were below, you know, 92 or so, I would be pretty concerned about that, and and I would probably go to the hospital at that point. Now, however, almost everybody else that is not ultra high risk, I would consider for home care. And indeed, the World Health Organization sanctions home care for mild cases of uh, COVID-19. They feel that it the likelihood of somebody getting better at home with a single caregiver uh, is probably much higher than going to an overcrowded, overcrowded and understaffed hospital. As a matter of fact, I have a book that's going to be coming out soon, um, uh, my Alton's Panda, Pandemic Preparedness Handbook. And so I'm going, I, I write about that and all of the various uh, things you need to do to have an effective uh, sick room for epidemic uh, diseases and also uh, what you have to do with regards to contacts, what we have to do with regards to being, being a, an effective caregiver and the various things that would give people the best chance of, stay, of, of, recover, of a full recovery while not getting the rest of the family sick. So that'll be coming out uh, probably in the next couple of weeks. Probably, I always like to say that I, I, I always like to say that when I write a book about something, it cures the problem. Because when I wrote um, a book about Ebola in 2014, I put it on the bookshelves, and actually, 
made the New York Times bestseller list in health and for one week. And then you never heard about Ebola ever again. <laughs> so I cured it. And the funny thing is I wrote in 2016, I wrote a book about Zika virus and well, don't hear too much about Zika virus, do you? So I figure maybe I can cure COVID-19 by writing a book about it. <laughs> well, we'll find out. Hopefully when it hits the bookshelves, COVID-19 disappears. There we go. Magically. I'll definitely be looking for, uh, for a copy of that when it comes out. Oh, uh, absolutely. I'm adding that to my bookshelf as well. Yep. <laughs> Put it right up there with the, uh, next to the survival medicine handbook. Absolutely. Um, so O2 side of, of below 92% is what you're saying is the, uh, would be the, your, well, your, I mean, I, I think an O2 side of 95 to hundred percent is more appropriate. And, you know, once you're hit, once you hit 90, if you're walk, really rolling, walking around at 92% and you're, at sea level, you know, I, I would really, you know, be concerned that you either have some kind of res chronic respiratory situation going on there. But if you just got sick, you have a fever, you have a cough, and you suspect that you are sick with COVID-19 or you've had a positive test for COVID-19, once you start feeling short of breath and you think you're getting cyanotic, which means that you're tips of your fingers, maybe your lips are beginning to turn blue. Uh, I would, I would get myself to the hospital. Okay. Um, now, since we're talking about testing, the uh, Los Angeles County Health Department has decided to stop testing unless a positive test would change the outcome of the course of treatment. Mm -hmm. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? Is it, is it really relevant to have accurate numbers of how many people are sick? Um, only in only in that it gives you a good idea, a better idea of of how dangerous the disease actually is. I mean, how you really can't get unless you tested everyone, you really wouldn't have a true idea of how high a death rate, a case fatality rate would be. So if if I tested everybody and and in, in the last um, the last two hundred and fifty thousand cases that were tested or patients that were patients, patients with symptoms that were tested for COVID-19 in the United States, there were 30,000 positive results. That means that there is a good 10% or more of people who are having, who have a cough or have a fever in this country are, have COVID-19. And so uh, if I knew that number, then I could really tell you really how dangerous it is and what the real death rate is for this. I mean, people always uh, seem to be saying, uh, before they were saying it was 2%, now it's 3%. Now, today, I'm reading it's 3.5%. And, and it's just hard to say because we don't know the, the total amount of cases. But uh, numbers can be manipulated in all sorts of ways. I can make I can make something appear more deadly. You notice I, I made it appear more deadly simply just by telling you about the cases that are not active anymore that have been closed, either fully recovered or died. And that death rate was 12 or 13%. And, but in reality of all cases, including the cases that are active now, it's really only about 3.5% uh, at the very, at this very moment. Well, you can make up a statistic to prove anything and 87% oh. of all people know that. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there you go. There's your statistic. Um, but that's, and that's how China is manipulating their statistics uh, simply by not testing. So bingo, there, 
we're not getting a lot of new cases, maybe because they're just not testing for this anymore. If then, if they're not going to test for it in Los Angeles, you're going to see obviously a very, uh, very low, much lower level of cases. Um, and I think it, in their case, it's made basically because they have such a, a huge homeless population. I mean, the the number of pay people that are pro- the percentage of they're homeless that probably have COVID-19, uh, it's probably very high. It's probably much higher than the average simply because they're, they have little tent cities and things like that. I've actually driven through some of these, and you would be pretty surprised that you were in Los Angeles. You know, they say, don't test, don't tell, something like that, right? There you go, right. So in, do you think there's... Uh, an advantage to doing that just in terms of public panic or do you think there's a disadvantage by way of not letting people know just how dangerous this really is i think that like everything else it's it's got its good points as its bad points if you don't test then the numbers go down and you can manufacture a recovery uh, just like the Chinese may be doing right now. I, I hope it's not true, and I hope that, uh, indeed, you know, they they are over their uh, main part of their uh, epidemic uh, over there. But uh, in some circumstances, you don't it to prevent a a huge population from panicking and essentially going out of control. I mean, that's one of the ways that they would do it is by not testing and not putting out numbers. Uh, so th- that that is a good good thing that comes out of it, which is terrible, really, yeah, because you're fooling your own population. And I think you know, and I think that's terrible. But indeed, you may wind up having less civil unrest as a result of not publishing such high numbers of cases. If, if we if you heard tomorrow that there were 500,000 cases in Canada, you know, of COVID, you know, and when before there were only, what, a couple of thousand, uh, well, you know, I think that there would be a lot of, a lot of hysteria in, in the general population, don't you think? So do you think that's part of the reason they've stopped testing is to just avoid the panic? Um, I think that, because I think so, and the reason why I think that is because the, the availability of tests is higher, much higher now than it was just a week ago. So you think they're they're not testing despite having more tests, more because they don't want to know and they don't want the people. No, I, I, that that would be ascribing bad intentions on their part, and I, and I don't do that. I think they have reasons to if if they don't think that they can particularly change the course of a disease uh you know they might just decide that it's it's like that the mild cases are just simply like the flu and that they don't have necessarily need to go through a million dollar workup to uh you know to tell people that they have the flu and maybe they're thinking that way about co- uh, about mild cases of coronavirus. And the reason why is because p- when people are really sick with coronavirus, they end up in the hospital, believe me. Right. Because they just can't breathe. And if they can't breathe, you know, they're, they're not going to just hang around the house or, or take a walk around the block. They're going to go to the emergency room. Yep. 
just jump back to, to symptom management for a moment. Uh, if what are your thoughts on using something like uh, like a salbutamol or albutrin to manage to manage that uh, that shortness of breath? Well, I don't. I think that it's not. I don't believe that it's as a result of. Are you saying as a result of? Because of bronchospasm? Yeah, no. I'm just thinking, like, if if uh, like if a bronchodilator, you know, would that could that ease the symptoms enough to keep somebody out of the hospital? That would be a good question. But what's happening in the lungs is not a spasm. What's happening is the destruction of the cells lining the lungs, and therefore, with that that with that dis- destruction of those cells, the 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 uh, absorption of oxygen is not is not as good it's not it's not only that the air it's not that the airways have tightened up particularly is that they're sloughing off right okay yeah just a thought um i think you've exhausted all of my questions and then some <laughs> well so. I, I i just want people to know that i still believe that this is something that even even if china's uh recovery from the covid 19 pandemic is whether it's artificial or not, I really do believe that this is something that will run through its its phases. If, if we're lucky, it'll be a couple of months. And if we're not lucky, it'll be six months or so. And we have to realize that as a coronavirus, uh, half of these, half of the coronavirus family pop by every year to give us colds and things like that. And it's very possible that COVID-19 may pop by every year, may now become part of uh, just the cyclical things that occur, uh, you know, every late fall to early spring. And it's, it's one of those things. Don't be surprised that next year they say, uh, it's Corona season. Have you gotten your Corona shot yet? <laughs> you know, so it's, one of, it's, it's something that may be part of the new normal for us. And it's, it's something, too, that over, over repeated exposure we should not necessarily develop an immunity to, but develop a tolerance for? Well, we do We do develop a sort of immunity to it. I mean, think about, um, well, let's think about the first European explorers. You know, let's, let's think about uh, John Cabot and, um, and the first European explorers, the people in Jamestown, things like that. They would basically live through centuries and centuries of smallpox that would kill a small percentage of them and you know disfigure with pockmarks maybe the majority of them but uh most europeans ended up not dying of smallpox but however as soon as they reached the new world they encountered a population that had never been exposed to smallpox and in some areas it it killed 90 percent of the american uh american uh, native american populations in those areas I think they gave back on that uh, uh, transaction, though, too, didn't they? Wasn't there some uh, sexually transmitted diseases that went the other way? I think it was... Oh, uh, yeah, syphilis, yes. Syphilis went the other way. <laughs> yeah. So that's we, true. That's something we hadn't discovered yet. <laughs> and, and, and of course, uh, lung cancer. <laughs> Let's see. The tobacco the Native thing, yeah. Americans' uh, revenge is, uh, is tobacco. <laughs> so I did have one other question that's been uh, fairly common, uh, just in regards, everybody kind of stock, uh, stocked up on food uh, a couple of weeks ago or a month ago when they saw this coming. Uh, non-perishable food is starting to um, come uh, deplete at, at homes. People are starting to look to go back out to grocery stores. Um, 
should there be any fear of going back out to a grocery store to, to purchase some non-perishable foods and restock back up? Uh, any precautions that people should be taking when they do go back out, if they choose to go back out or any PPE or protective equipment they should be looking at? Well, I think that it depends a little bit on where you live. I mean, if you are in an area that has no, that has the ability to test for COVID-19 and has no cases in, in your community, then I'm not sure how much you have to, I'm not sure you need to be walking around in a Tychem, you know, suit and, you know, with your PAPR, you know, respirators and, and things like that. However, in our situation here in South Florida, where we do have more cases than anywhere else in the state, um, when Amy walks into a grocery store, she, she won't let me into a grocery store now, <laughs> but uh, when she walks into a grocery store, she wears a mask, uh, a face, uh, she wears a face mask, and uh, uh, she makes sure that she has with her uh, some disinfecting wipes. So she has a purse full of disinfecting wipes and and then she does wear a mask. Now, if she was in a situation where there was splatter involved, uh, th- then she would most likely wear maybe goggles or a face shield. Uh, in in general, I think that the, the most likely thing that you would see is you would see that uh, people wind up continuing to be concerned about what kind of uh, uh, what kind of symptoms people would have, and so the bottom line is, if as long as you don't have a lot of outbreaks, a lot of cases in your area, uh, in your community, then most likely you don't necessarily have to uh, do a lot of uh, changing your lifestyle around. I, I think that it just depends on how things have been in your community lately. Makes sense. If it's not spreading in your community, you can't catch it, right? That's the thing. Yeah. So, but, but the truth is that we don't know what it's going to be like in a month, or we don't know what it's going to be like in six weeks. There may be at one point or another where you do have to walk around a, you know, your hometown uh, uh, with, with a mask. And that's just part of it. But, the, but there are a lot of non-pharmaceutical interventions besides just wearing masks. I mean, just social distancing. Uh, I don't have to tell you guys that. You, I'm sure you've been uh, trained to, you know, make sure that you are a good six feet away from other people, that you're uh, just being careful with regards to uh, being in areas that are crowded. And so, the, and, and I definitely, I would say this, that I think it's very important to not be indoors in a crowd. That I think okay. is specific. You know, I think you have a very virus-laden environment in that situation, and I think that's something that would make a big difference. So if curbside pickup is available at your grocery store, probably the, the best way to go. I think that, that believe it or not, I, I think that that's something that we're going to be seeing if, soon if it's not occurring already. We've got that available at a couple of the grocery stores here, so that's what we've been using. Really interesting. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that as of yet. At least not not here. It's actually quite handy. It was handy before this whole pandemic thing. They've had it for about six months or so now, almost yeah, about six months to a year, and it's been very oh, handy. So that's really cool. I, yeah. I, 
Never seen yeah, it. we've had it out here as well. It's been something that um, there's a fee to it. So, like, if you're buying $10 in yeah. groceries, you're not going to pay a $7 fee, right? You're just going to walk in the yeah. store and grab the stuff. Uh, but now okay. the um, the grocery stores here have actually waived the fee um, to encourage people to, to go that route. Um, and they also have uh, delivery of groceries for free, um, I believe, right now for seniors. Um, and then there's still a fee for if you're not a senior, right? But I think that's a really good option. Um, and the retailers seem to be really going out of their way and, and you know, eating this expense uh, for the safety of their, their uh, patrons. So it's really nice to see that. And it's good for their employees too, right? It keeps the contact oh, levels down. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. We have a uh, panel. Have any other questions? No, this has been great. Thank Thank you again. This is, this right. is awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you. I, I'm sure that this, I, I really believe that this is going to be something that will pass. This too will pass as they say. And it's just a matter of time and, and matter of being careful uh, in the midst of the, you know, the most active part of the uh, outbreak. Uh, well, thanks. Uh, thanks again, Dr. Alton. That uh, We really appreciate you coming on the show and, and giving some information to the listeners because you, know, you were very well received last time and I'm sure you're very well received wherever you are. But um, we, uh, we thank you for, for coming out again and, and helping to give some accurate information and hopefully calm some people down as well. Well, I'm honored to be on, and I hope uh, that everyone out there stays healthy and anything that I can do for you guys, you can always contact me. Yeah, it's interesting. I saw you, or I was listening to you on the uh, Jack Spierko's Survival Podcast last week, so I can only imagine how many of uh, these uh, media spots you're doing, but <laughs> you're probably the most popular guy on the continent right now. So, Well, you know, we try anything I can do that can help save a life. That's, that's basically what I'm here for. Awesome. Right, shall we uh, move into the podcast challenge? Yeah, for sure. Is uh, Alan a good back one. with us? Uh, I'll just take care of Alan's stuff there. Yeah. So for the podcast challenge, uh, don't get sick. Uh, your <laughs> challenge this week is to stay away from other people. So send us pictures of your setups, what you're doing to pass the time, and uh, maybe add a d- daily dose of zinc to your routine <laughs> just to keep things on the <laughs> on the uh, proactive side. Um, as uh, far as myself goes, I, I just wanted to add a little note that you know normalcy bias is tough to overcome. So I mean, like, if you're... In, used to go to the beach every Friday and you know you have to break that habit like uh, times are different you're gonna have to like get over your normal routine and just uh, it sucks to stay at home for a long time especially for your social yeah. butterfly but you gotta overcome that normalcy bias yeah, absolutely. it's gonna be tricky sorry I did, I did make it back I just had to reset my entire life and ah. deal with my sky internet so ah, welcome back <laughs> uh, let's move into some upcoming events all right, so we got the uh, Podcaster Charity Shoot hosted by Slamfire Radio July 4th, 2020 in Balmoral, New Brunswick. That's the rest of Goosh Gun Club. Uh, details can be found at practicescore.com. You can register there as well. $25 fee, and even if it gets cancelled, uh, they would really prefer if you just sign up and just say, hey, you know what? Leave it for charity. Um, so just do your thing if you can at practicescore.com. Cool. Uh, Emergency Preparedness Week is coming up May 3rd to 9th, and we'll have lots of great things to talk about that week. And unfortunately, as far as we've heard, the uh, annual preppers meet is still uh, still canceled. So if we get uh, any updates on that, I will certainly let you know. But we, uh, we haven't heard anything saying it's back on. So unfortunately, still canceled from the sounds of it. Uh, let's move into some shout outs. Uh, I will shout out Claire, who is actually listening to the podcast tonight instead of just making fun of the fact that she can only hear it from my side. So <laughs> <laughs> she, never tries make, she never tries to make funny faces to make you laugh or anything. 
Uh, sometimes, yeah. Right. Um, I got one for a new listener. Uh, his name is Cam and family. Uh, it was a good chat the other day, and uh, yeah, welcome to the show. All right. Anyway, else on the panel, I have a shout out. All right. We'll go to uh, email and iTunes reviews. All right. I couldn't resist. I had to read this one out. We got a message from Wade on the Facebook page. So he, uh, he gave us a bit of a humorous uh, diatribe here. So coronavirus pandemic, day 16. If anyone is still out there, I'm alive but struggling. Food is running low. I'm down to only 459 days worth. <laughs> my hands are super sanitized and my butt is super clean. Down to 1,599 rounds of ammo. I dropped one round down the heat bent while doing the daily inventory. The power is still on, but for how long? Missing human interaction, but I have my cats for now. <laughs> I'm soaking their food in barbecue sauce in an attempt to marinate them from the inside in case I have to eat them. I fear dark days are ahead. News is all bad. Neighbors have attempted to leap from windows to the death, or near death. Most have single-story homes, so they're just badly bruised. Blew through most of my Netflix series, so I managed to rewatch some again. Basic survival is a definite challenge. I vow to persevere to the end. I am a survivor. Please, if there's life out there, communicate with me to help preserve my sanity. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Wade. Uh, no, nothing wrong with a little humor. Yeah. <laughs> All right. As far as iTunes reviews go, we are up to 55 stars. We've got right. five, four stars, three, two stars, two, one stars. And we still got that one little guy at one star. But uh, like I keep saying, we got the board filled now. So. That one little guy at one star doesn't bug me as much. Who am I kidding? Yeah, it does. Whatever, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> She's still there. You, you can't please all the people all the time. No, leave, it's true. So I'm, Leave uh, yourself a five star. Uh, yeah, I can't <laughs> skew the stats here. Yeah, I can. Uh, we just went through that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can't do that. We got to have an accurate picture of our ratings. So uh, with that, I will bring uh, episode number 60 of the Canadian Prepper podcast to an end. Uh, you can find the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or, of course, your favorite podcast app. Uh, please help us out. Submit a review. That way our stats aren't skewed. Uh, it also helps other people find us. Uh, we do record these shows live on Facebook and YouTube. If you want an early peek at the show, please subscribe to the YouTube channel, Canadian Prepper Podcast. Click on the notifications tab. That gives you an alert when we're going live. You can contact me directly on Instagram at PPSWO or find me, uh, shoot me an email, alan at prepperpodcast.ca. That's Alan with one L. And for me, I can be reached at Hughes at prepperpodcast.ca or hfxprepper at gmail.com. And I also have my own YouTube channel. Just search for hfxprepper. Dr. Dr. Alton, where can everybody find you? Oh, my turn? Yep. yep. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, you can find me at uh, doomabloom.net. Uh, we have over 1,200 articles, podcasts, and videos on our website. It's been going on for, well, gosh, more than a decade now. Um, you can find us at uh, our YouTube channel at DR Bones uh, Nurse Amy. Also, our Facebook group, 6,500 uh, 6, strong. Uh, on Facebook is Survival Medicine, Dr. Bones, Nurse Amy. And uh, you also have a podcast as well? Yes, it's called the Survival Medicine Podcast, and uh, we are on Blog Talk Radio. Awesome. Uh, you can reach uh, Ian directly by emailing me at the islandretreat at gmail.com, and you can also find me on Canadian Patriot Podcast on iTunes and YouTube. There you can find us discussing why government waste and society triggered by Asperger's. <laughs> wow. All right. You can find me at uh, rapidsurvival.com. You can uh, chat with me there in the live, uh, the live chat. Uh, you can also email me at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. Uh, so thanks for joining us this evening. 
And until next time, be prepared, stay safe. And keep learning.